2: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland, Odyssey Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham, and this week we're going to talk about conservation and wildlife care. On the show this time, I would like to welcome two guests. We're going to be talking with Stephanie Herman, Wildlife Care Center Manager at Portland Autobahn, and Ashley Lima, a wildlife rehabilitator also at Portland Automon. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank, Thank you. It's great to be here. So I, I was reading through all the stuff you sent me just so I could familiarize myself with the work you do, and it sounds like you do amazing work but also kind of precarious work. Tell me about the work you do at, at the Wildlife Care Center.
1: Sure. Well, um, so our goal here is to help injured, orphaned, and ill wildlife that people find, um, and we take care of them here and try to get them fixed up and back out into the wild. Um, and that's kind of our primary goal for existing. Uh, our, our We're a conservation organization, and so we want those animals back out there so that they can continue to live their lives and contribute to the local ecosystem. Um, we also want to reduce animal suffering and really help um, also keep people safe as well because we want to make sure that those wild animals don't, um, don't cause harm to anybody either through disease or injury or anything like that. So we're really here to help promote sort of responsible coexistence with wildlife. And uh, one, of, one of the roles that we take on is also advising people on how to um, sort of live harmoniously with wildlife, especially if wildlife's causing a problem. Um, we have a bunch of volunteers who are really well-trained to help people work through problems and find humane solutions to wildlife conflicts, like if a raccoon's getting into your garbage.
2: Okay, so you so you you rehabilitate animals and you help people make sure that the animals aren't interfering too much or, or we're living in a a good coexistence. Absolutely, yeah. So tell me about some of the wildlife that you care for when they come in if they're injured. I, that's where I think the precarious part in my mind comes in. If you're getting a a real wild animal, how do you handle that?
0: Oh, so we see just about anything you can think of. Um, just today, we've already received. Um, a rat species, uh, an American robin, um, and a bunch of little ducklings. So every situation is a little bit different, but we have um, we have raptor handling gloves. If a hawk or an eagle comes in, we, we've got all the tools we need to, to work with all of the native animals that um, could come our way. Um, but yeah, every situation is a little bit different. We really never know what we're going to come into work to find today. Um, but right now in care, we've got screech owls uh great horned owlets we have morning doves all kinds of little songbirds um and a few are being released today so um yeah that's what we've got going on
2: actually I, I, it sounds like you have a lot of birds is that correct is that the m- yeah. most most yeah, of the we time have
0: lots of birds we also have a snake in care right now um we don't currently have any mammals we're raising um but uh, we do do those as well. During the summer, we usually see a lot of chipmunks come through, a lot of California ground squirrels. Uh, we even had flying squirrels last summer that we raised and rehabilitated and released.
2: How do these animals get to you? Uh,
0: it's always by um, Good Samaritans or um, or um, volunteers. We used to have a wildlife rescue network that was operating pre-COVID. Um, right now, it's currently still out of operation, um, but we mainly rely on the public bringing animals to us that they found um, injured or orphaned somehow um, and they get them up here or they find a friend or a family member that can can give them a ride
2: actually let me ask you again too uh, what are some of the common reasons that uh, patients come into the wildlife rehabilitation center
0: um, basically the most um, the most prevalent cause we see is Uh, cat injuries, so little babies getting caught by cats, songbirds getting caught by cats, just about anything you can think of that's on the ground or can be caught by a cat will be, and um, especially living in or operating in Portland, Oregon, um, we are very, um, it's city life, so people have their cats outside and don't realize that it's a really big issue, and basically throughout the day, we see 10 to 20 sometimes during the summer, animals come through that are, have been injured by cats and cats aren't hunting for food. Um, you know, they've, they've got their owner to care for them. They're really just hunting for fun outside. So it really is just not, it's not helpful to anybody. The animals are suffering, the cats aren't hunting for food. Um, so that really is the most upsetting and the most prevalent one that comes in. But window strikes are another one, uh, birds hitting our windows. Um, animals becoming struck by cars. Um, uh, but pretty much most of the reasons are human, um, human causes, um, basically running into a, a human can,
1: <laughs> cannot go well. <laughs> uh, <yes.
2: laughs> Tell me about some of the larger animals you deal with. Do you deal with like, like deer or anything like that?
1: Uh, no, for the most part, uh, it's, it's medium and small. Kind of skunks are the bigger end of our spectrum. We do beavers as well. They're pretty big, but they're less commonly in care. Um, some of the larger animals, there are some challenges around caring for them, primarily facility-related, but also um, deer, for example, don't do well in captivity at all. Once they're adults, they they just cannot be kept safely. Uh, they will harm themselves in care. So uh, there really isn't a center, as far as I'm aware, in the U.S. that is able to take care of adult deer that are injured, so there are some restrictions like that. But um, for the most part, we take care of anything native that we have the ability to do so on site, and, um, and that includes almost everything. Um, but I'd say that deer, uh, bear, coyote, those are
2: outside of our, our capabilities. What about non-native animals?
1: Yeah, non-native animals are a bit of a challenge. We do offer um, humane euthanasia for non-native animals that would be suffering from injuries or they wouldn't have parental care, Um, but we're not able to take care of them and then put them back out in the wild. Um, And that really comes down to the fact that they are in our ecosystem taking up resources that would otherwise be available to native animals. Um, And so if we're going to take an animal that would otherwise die out of the environment, and then reintroduce it and basically artificially inflate that population, we're actually causing a problem, and that's contrary to our conservation goals. Um, it's also against the, the law and permit regulations in order to take non-natives and put them back out into the environment where they don't belong and can continue to cause harm. Um, but really, from our perspective, it's, it's a conservation conversation. We want to make sure we're treating those animals humanely, um, but we also want to make sure that we're not causing um, really negative impacts for our our environment really.
2: We're talking today with Stephanie Herman and Ashley Lima with the Wildlife Care Center at uh, Portland Audubon. Now of course we're in the middle of a pandemic so how has COVID-19 affected the work that you guys do?
1: Uh, It's actually been a pretty big impact. Um, It's not just our center but centers across the U.S. have been seeing um, significant increases in intakes and you know, some of that might just be people being home, watching their backyards more, maybe going on walks more. But we're seeing um, last year we saw an increase from an average of between 3,000 and 4,000 patients a year. And last year we we received 5,500. So wow. it was a, a big spike. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, there's financial implications for that. Um, but even more so because of COVID-19, um, we are not able to have as many volunteers in the building helping us do the work, um, because that would put them at risk and, and we don't want to become a hotspot for spread or anything. Um, and so we've actually had to lay off about 80% of our workforce. Um, and we've backfilled that a little bit with, um, like really consistent staff help. Um, but we're just not able to make up all, all of that extra help from our volunteers. So we've had to change the way we operate pretty significantly, um, And it's, uh, so it's been pretty impactful. We've all been working really hard. Yeah. (laughs) And so far we've kept afloat. It's been, um, uh, it's been just thanks to the people who support us. Uh, Also the volunteers who have come and actually continued to work uh, outside the building. And we've adapted some of our procedures so that we can safely have some volunteer help. But a lot of it really, the the thanks goes to the staff here um, because the folks who came on for the season and have been sticking around for COVID are, um, just working really hard for us.
2: That's so great. Volunteers again, always the lifeline of, of any nonprofit Absolutely. organization. <laughs> yeah. Yay for volunteers. Yes. Ashley, you're a wildlife rehabilitator. Let me ask you, what does it take to successfully rehabilitate a wild animal? That's a big job.
0: Um, well, I I think that successfully it can the word successfully can sometimes be tricky. I think um, any day at work where an animal suffering is reduced is a successful day to me, not necessarily if the animal gets to that release point, but but just us working with the animal trying to get it to that point or as soon as we see it, knowing that that injury means that it won't ever survive again in the wild and um, putting them down then, even that to me is you know, it's still a successful case. We still got it and gave it what it needed. Um, but in terms of releasing, getting to that release point of rehabilitation, um, it's 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 a whole lot of stuff. Um, I think the first thing is respecting the wildness of these animals. So um, we have them in cages where they can't see us. We're not cuddling with them. A lot of times people have this warped... Um, vision of what being a wildlife rehabilitator is. They see Snow White with animals all over her, (laughs) and um, it's not. It's me covered in maybe poop or feathers, and all of the animals are not touching me. That's not what I want. I want them to have that healthy fear of me, um, and I want them to be comfortable in their cage alone, uh, stress-free, with natural things and food that um, is good for them. Um, So that is a lot of what we do to help support the animal, not just with our medical help, but we want to give them their best chance at making it, and simply stress can kill a wild animal um, Mm -hmm. because of, you know, we're a predator, we're seen as a predator, even though I'm not going to eat them. Every time I go into the cage to grab it, to medicate it, it's, it's having a fear response that it's being caught by a predator. So really just giving them... The space that wild animals deserve um, can go a long way in getting them to that point where they can successfully heal their injury and then be released.
2: The yeah. animals, the animals that you deal with, must be under tremendous amounts of stress because they're wild, right? And they're inside, they're captured, they're injured, they're probably going crazy.
1: Yeah, you know, the captive environment is just not where wild animals belong. <laughs> And uh, you can look at things like um, zoos and how um, how far they go for naturalistic environments for animals that have been born in captivity, potentially have had generations of captivity behind them, um, and and that that requires an extreme, incredible investment um, for the work that we do. A lot of sort of reducing that stress not only comes down to limiting our presence, but also trying to provide those naturalistic environments, um, making sure their food is healthy and appropriate and if, if possible, natural um, and, and like really giving them opportunities to sort of behave the way they would in the wild. But you can't do that a hundred percent in captivity. It's just impossible, especially when they have an injury or something that, you know prevents them from flying so it is inherently very it's a very stressful situation for them and um, we always have to keep that front and center in all the decisions we make
2: i'm assuming you want to keep the animal in captivity for a short amount of time as possible but how long is that generally
1: it depends on the case. Um, some animals were able to get out fairly quickly. We, of course, want to keep them long enough to make sure that no harm has been done. Um, but, like, for example, if an animal hits a window and it's stunned and there isn't further injury, it could recover in two or three days. We might be able to send it back. Um, but we also have animals that are in care for many months because of healing bones um, or uh, Soft tissue injuries actually, like tendons and muscles, can be really long. Uh, Nerves especially can be very long, and we can have those six months or more. Um, The other thing that sometimes keeps animals in care longer is, for example, right now we have a Swainson thrush in care that's been in care for about six months because it hit a window during its uh, fall migration, and it can't be released here in the winter. (laughs) So we actually have to keep it for quite a long time until all of its its, uh, buddies come back. Um and it's safe and it can survive back out in the wild um, in the uh, in, in sort of the climate uh,
2: of the late spring. yeah so many um, considerations, my goodness
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a complex um, it's complex because we have to consider the natural history of every every individual species um, they all eat different things, they all live in different ways, um, they all move in different ways through the environment, um, different migration routes and so. Um, and, and that's not really even considering all the medical considerations because um, uh, the medicine that you need for a bird is, for example, very different than what you would need for a cat. And even when we talk about birds, sometimes we compare like raptors to pigeons, but those are not the same physiologically, so yeah, there's lots of little little things we have to know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're talking today with Stephanie Herman and Ashley Lima with the Wildlife Care Center at Portland Autobahn. Now, let's talk about what uh, somebody should do if they find an injured or even an orphaned animal, and and kind of what can indicate that the animal needs help.
0: Um, yeah, so I think the best thing you can do first is reach out to your local wildlife rehabilitation center if you have one. If not, just the closest one is fine and just kind of go over your situation with them. You want to make sure that before you lay your hands on any animal that it actually does need your help, especially in the spring and summer. We see lots of accidental kidnappings where people find a little bird on the ground and and you know, that's not right, a bird should be flying. So they bring it straight to us and once we take a look, we can tell right away that this is a juvenile bird that is learning how to fly. Um, and it's completely natural for him to be on the ground occasionally as he, as he learns this. But he, his parents are nearby, they're taking care of him and um, these, these people were trying to do the right thing. Um, but so that's why we always recommend calling first, going over your situation with somebody. Sometimes um, we can stop it there. Um, If not, if you're just gonna go ahead and and you you think this animal is injured or orphaned um, or you know it to be, um, just simply placing it in a closed um, box container of any kind, just keeping it quiet, dark and warm is the best thing you can do. We always tell people not to feed or um, give water to any of the animals that they find. Um, We just kind of went over why the food reason is their diets are so completely different from what you might have in your fridge. And most people don't know what species they're looking at. So in most cases, we just recommend not giving them anything at all. We don't want to introduce something to them that could be bad for them. Um, And then same thing with water. We're not sure what this injury is. The bird might not be able to hold its head up. It might be too young. It could get cold and wet. So we just always say just refrain from giving anything and just keep it somewhere Uh, quiet, warm, dark, um, until you can get it to a licensed, uh, wildlife rehabilitator that can, that can help you from there. Um, but I will say some animals come here and we give them a check over and they're fine and and they get sent back and we, we do that too. So, um,
1: not the end of the world for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think it's so counterintuitive to, um, To not give an animal food and water. Um, But to give an example of why this is so important is like uh, you think that the best thing to do for an animal that's starving is to feed it. Um, But you can actually uh, there's a syndrome called refeeding syndrome, which is basically an electrolyte derangement. And basically, if you feed in a starving animal, um, you can set off this cascade in their body that will kill it. Um, (laughs) So we have to be like very careful when we reintroduce food. Um, So there's actually medical reasons as well as just not knowing what to feed it. Um, And so I think that's the hardest thing for folks to to understand. Most folks understand wild animals don't really want to see or be around them. And of course, we always say minimal contact because we we also need to consider the fact that some animals do carry diseases that can infect people um, or can be dangerous to people or can get too used to people. So... Um, We always just want minimal contact for everybody's safety as well.
2: If somebody does find an injured or orphaned animal, can they call you? And if so, can you give out your information?
1: Sure. Um, So our main line is 503-292-0304. That's the Wildlife Care Center direct line. Um, And what will happen there is there's some recordings that you can listen to with some basic information. But you can also... um, at the end or press zero and you can leave us a voicemail and our volunteers will get back. Um, Our volunteers monitor that and usually get back within honestly a few minutes um, during the day between nine and five, but folks can leave us messages after hours as well. And we'll get back as soon as we possibly can.
2: Also, can they contact you through the website?
1: Yeah. So um, we actually have an email address uh, here at the Wildlife Care Center. It's just wildlife at audubonportland.org. Um, people can email us if they want to send a picture of what something's going on or just describe it that way. That's totally fine. Um, there are links on our website as well to reach us through that email.
2: With the nicer weather happening now, what can people do in their own backyards to kind of help, help wildlife? Uh,
0: I think the absolute best thing people can do right now is if they have indoor-outdoor cats, or we're considering transitioning their outdoor cat inside that um, this is the best time to do it. There's going to start being babies on the ground. We're already seeing, um, you know, little ducklings, young squirrels being born, um, young rabbits. All of those are not able to defend themselves and are really easy prey for our indoor-outdoor cats. So... That that would just make a world of a difference. I think it's even if you're not in Portland, if you're anywhere in the world and you hear this and can keep your cat inside, <laughs> you are making a huge, huge difference for not just baby animals but um, all wildlife outside. Um, We'll be happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So cats inside and also it's spring migration, so um, there's a variety of things that we can do to help our animals make it through the migration without getting hurt. They often run into windows, so um, it's really important to know that birds can't see glass. In fact, they usually see the reflection of the sky or foliage. Um, And so they'll try to fly into that, uh, thinking they're going somewhere, can escape somewhere, can hide somewhere, and um, they often get really badly injured. So, breaking up that reflection, uh, a lot of people think that all it takes is to put a hawk sticker on your window. Um, But really, that doesn't, they don't perceive that as a threat, as as a predator. Um, What you're trying to do is break up that reflection so um, they can actually see there's something there. And if you just put like two stickers on, they'll try to fly into the space in between. Um, (laughs) So, there needs to be enough um, either uh, the whole surface of the window should be can be dulled. You can also install UV films. There are also like really um, thin lines you can put on your window. You can also have your kids draw on it with like chalk paint. Um, there's a lot of options for breaking up that reflection. You just want to make sure that it's uh, it's the reflection is disrupted enough that the birds don't think they can get in between um, and go into those trees that they see behind it. Um, and then the other thing is like. Uh, if people want to explore creating habitat for wildlife, um, we do have a backyard habitat program here at Portland Audubon that certifies yards and stuff, but it's really planting native plants um, and creating a space where you're supporting wildlife in the urban environment so that we don't get that really um, problematic uniformity uh, in our in our urban areas what What we want to be able to do is have some of these animals need stopover points and stuff like that so um, native habitat is the other thing that you can really do.
2: What else can people do? How can people help support your the Wildlife Care Center?
1: Well, we're always happy to take donations. We do offer the services um, entirely for free uh, for the animals that need it. Um, and so we, we run off of donations. So that's, that's really helpful. Um, folks can also sign up to volunteer with us. There's an application on our website. And while right now um, with COVID, it's a little challenging because we do need to be careful. A lot of our volunteer uh, positions have been suspended. Um, if you do apply, um, you'll be the first to know when there's an opening. Um, and we're hoping to open some additional positions up pretty soon here. We're gonna be looking for help for the summer.
2: That's great. Yeah. Summer's summer's right around the corner. Yay. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> Let's wrap it up today by, I want to ask, uh, we'll start with Ashley. I want to ask you first, do you have any memorable cases or patient stories you could share?
0: I would say last summer we got um, a singleton, just one single um, yellow pine chipmunk that came from a few hours away. Um, I think he was found possibly in, in a in a truck um Mm-hmm. and um, he was just he was basically see-through he was just the tiniest little chipmunk would never have survived on his own definitely needed his mom still um, but these people brought him to us and we were able to raise him uh, to a, to full adulthood he looked healthy and great and and he knew to be scared of us and he um he just looked so perfect and i i loved raising him and i actually got to do the release so i i drove him back out a few hours east of here and and got to see him run off into the habitat that he came from. So that was that was a really special one for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Stephanie, how about you? Do you have a favorite experience or memorable experience?
1: I'm really proud of... Uh, we had a, a turkey vulture with severe lead poisoning a couple... well, two years, mm-hmm. a year and a half. I've lost track of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was in the summer, I think two summers ago. And um, I'm really proud of that one just because it came in so severe. Um, and turkey vultures... Uh, this one in particular must have uh, eaten some like hunter carrion. Sometimes they take the guts out and leave it, and there might be lead pieces in it. It may have been a deer that like was shot, but didn't die right away, and the hunter didn't find it. But regardless of how exactly it happened, it came in with extraordinarily high blood level lead levels, the highest that I've seen in my in my time. And um, she basically she was prone for several weeks. She couldn't stand up, and we had to place a feeding tube. And she was. Um, You know I really wasn't sure she was going to make it for a lot of that it it was an intense case but in the end um after a couple three months I think um she was like indistinguishable from the other birds and one of my favorite parts of that story is when she was released um we actually saw we released her somewhere where there was um along the banks of a river where there's a lot of like dead fish so she'd have some food and um and when she and when she went out, she actually started circling up above with um, one of the one of the local turkey vultures, um, and yeah, you just you couldn't even tell them apart. She made a full recovery. We were really happy about that, and that write up's on our website. But I'm just particularly proud of her.
2: Yeah, I think I was when I was scrolling through the website. I think I saw pictures of you with the turkey. Is that right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, there I it is. you did.
2: <laughs> Very nice. Well, you two are doing such great work. Thank you for the work that you do.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having us. We really appreciate the time.
2: We've been talking today with Stephanie Herman and Ashley Lima with the Wildlife Care Center at Portland Autobahn. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just search for Let's Talk Portland on the Odyssey app. Let's Talk Portland is an Odyssey Portland public affairs program.